so like you've seen, you know, we've been lighting these candles each week, and it's a reminder for us that we're in the season of Advent. And the season of Advent is all about waiting, right? That we're waiting, uh, that we're waiting, that we're waiting for Christmas to come. And we talk about this often, but we live in, in the midst as, as Christians in the already and the not yet, in between what we would call the first Advent and the second Advent of Jesus. As we look forward to Christmas, what we're remembering is that Jesus has already come. And yet what we know in the overall context of scripture is that we're also a people who are waiting for Christ to come again. So we live in this time between the first and the second advents, the first and the second comings of Christ. And that what we've really been doing kind of in the last few weeks is talking about what does it look like for us to live as people in between those two comings? We've been scrutinizing stories of Christ's first coming for clues as to how we live in the midst of waiting for his second coming. Because what we know is that like Jesus came, uh, came at Christmas so many years ago, that, that Christ is always coming to us now. And so the question is, how do we interact with this Jesus who consistently moves toward us in our day-to-day lives as we wait for him to come again at the end of time? And our passage today helps us understand what it means to be a people who are waiting, who are waiting between this first and this second coming. And what we're gonna talk about today, what we'll see in this story, the story of Joseph, is the chaos of Christmas. The chaos really that surrounded the first Christmas and the coming of Christ. And then we're gonna talk about what it means to see Christ in the midst of the chaos. The chaos of Christmas and Christ in the chaos. So Fernanda's gonna come up and Fernando Lucan is gonna read our scripture for us this morning. We're gonna be in the book of Matthew and we're in uh, chapter one, verses 18 through 25. Fernanda, I think you need this mic right here. There you go. All right, Matthew one, verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which she is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgins shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Thanks. Pray with me. Father, we, uh, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful that you promised that you Um, that you delight to come to us and that you're always coming to us. We pray and trust that that's something that you desire to do uh, this morning through your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So let's talk about the chaos of this Christmas story. And it's easy to miss it, isn't it? As we kind of, as we just, as we read through it, and as we think about the manger, as we've seen it depicted so often in the little scenes that we keep on our mantles, it seems so peaceful, right? 
but the first Christmas was anything but peaceful. And we see that really at the very start of this story. I love verse 18. It says, it just starts in such a plain, kind of straightforward way. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Great. Very straightforward, right? So I'm just gonna tell you a story. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, and, and what this is talking about is that Mary and Joseph were engaged to be married. But that engagement in, in this time uh, was itself a legally binding contract. So they hadn't come together yet. They weren't living together. They weren't sleeping together. But, but they were uh, bound together by this legal contract such that if they were to become unengaged, it re- would require some kind of legal proceedings to call it off. So Mary and Joseph have made a pretty intense commitment to each other. And really, it's not just a commitment that they have made. It's a commitment that their families have made to each other. The whole community is involved in saying, yes, this marriage is going to take place. So that's, that's a little bit different for us contextually, but it's something that we can wrap our minds around, right? Mary and Joseph engaged to be married. And then it says, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. What? Right right there, we see this whole story is now in a totally different plane. And these people's lives have been totally upended. And Joseph doesn't know that the, that the baby that Mary is carrying has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. All Joseph knows is this, this woman that he was engaged to be married, this, married to, this woman that he had pledged his life to, that she's with child and the child is not his. Think about what that would do to him. Chances are he was just a teenager. He's got his whole life in front of him. He's had it mapped out for him. And now all of a sudden, this life that's been mapped out for him is falling apart. And we get a sense of of how chaotic this would have been for Joseph in the next verse. It says, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, and that word for considered there, it makes it sound like Joseph is kind of like a Buddhist monk, right? And he's just like sitting there considering all of these things, you know, very peaceful. But that's not really kind of the force of this word. It's much more, uh, the force of it is that he's much more troubled, that he's angry. It, it's actually uh, from the same root that as we read about last week when, or two weeks ago when Herod was troubled by the visit of the wise men and that eventually resulted in him massacring a bunch of babies that that word for troubled is the same word that's here for Joseph and his considering. But this considering is full of tension. Because there's been all this chaos that's been introduced into Joseph's life because of the coming of Christ. But up until this point in the story, Joseph has an out. He has an out that Mary doesn't have. And we will talk about Mary next week. But Joseph has the option of divorcing Mary. And he says he's going to do it quietly in a way that is as unhumiliating for her as possible. And this is kind of Joseph's plan to get his life back on track. But as he considered these, these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 
we see here is that not only has chaos entered Joseph's life because of the Christmas story, but Joseph is being commanded by God to make his life more chaotic in the way that he would participate in this story. Because the off-ramp that he had for his life going back to something that was kind of familiar or could be considered normal has just been denied to him. And now the Lord himself has spoken to Joseph and told him, no, this woman who is carrying a child that is not yours, I want you to actually go through with your marriage to her. What does that look like to the rest of the community? Does it mean that they're all gonna think that this baby is actually Joseph's? He's been lying to them the whole time. And now kind of this like same stain of ill repute is gonna fall on him like it fell on her? Or is everyone gonna think that Joseph is now raising a son that's not his? And then when you think about the fact that marriage was a family affair, that Joseph's parents had an opinion about what he should do in his engagement with Mary. We don't need a lot of cultural context to know that's true, right? It's true today. But what would have happened in Joseph's time is, is that when Mary and Joseph got married, he would have gone to her house and taken her, they would have had a ceremony, and then he would have paraded her back through the streets of town, and they would have likely gone to his parents' house where he would have built a room onto their house for Mary and Joseph to live in together. And what likely his parents said is, we're gonna be done with this marriage. And Joseph, as a teenager, gets to wake up and go to them and say, mom and dad, I'm not calling off my wedding because I had a dream and an angel told me not to do it. I don't wanna be in Joseph's position, do you? That the Christmas story, the coming of Christ, uh, it didn't calm down the chaos in Joseph's life. It called him deeper into it. And actually, to be a participant in making the world around him feel more chaotic. And it didn't stop there. Like we talked about a few weeks ago, uh, after the wise men come, Joseph takes his wife and his child and they flee into Egypt. The story follows less and less and less of the script that Mary and Joseph would have imagined for their lives. Does that surprise you at all? Or upset you at all? It does me. Because I will tell you, I despise chaos in my life. I do everything I can to manage my life so it is as has as little chaos in it as possible. That was one of the most upsetting things about Friday night, right? To wake up in the middle of the night Actually, my brother came and woke me up. It wasn't my phone because our phones didn't buzz again, which is, I'm trying to figure that out, right? Uh, and he says, oh, the, the, the tornado, the watch is going up. That's what it was, the warning and then the watch. I always get confused. The watch is going off. So I get up and my wife is telling me, we've got to take our kids down to the closet under the stairs. I'm like, do we have to? Is it really that dangerous? And she's like, what are we talking about? Yes, get the kids. And I'm like, uh, okay, okay, we'll do it. Right? Because what, what I am resisting is the chaos that I know is coming into our lives when we get our kids up. I don't want the chaos in my life of not sleeping well, let alone what's going to happen the next day when they haven't slept. Whatever I can do to resist chaos in my life. And, and what, uh, I mean, 
praying for people that were not that far away from us, the chaos that came into their life on Friday night was really different. And what it reminds us is that we have far less control over our lives than we like to think that we do. I'm looking at you guys this morning, I'm reminded of uh, how many of you are really excellent chaos managers. It's true. We have so many uber successful people here. And I look at your lives and I think, if I could just manage my life like you manage your life, I think my life would be better. And what this story reminds us is that our Jesus is not interested in helping us manage the chaos of our lives. You know, right, so often we think about uh, God's agenda for us. We kind of think about him like the AAA. Do any of you have AAA? A few of you, okay. AAA is this place you can go to pick up maps, which is cool. There are these paper things that tell you where to go if your phone dies. Uh, but they also provide insurance, which is how I got connected with them. And, uh, and they also provide roadside service, which is great. So if your car breaks down, you can call AAA and they'll come and they'll tow your car for you or fix your tire. They will even bring you gas if you run out of gas, right? Which is great news because if I run out of gas, I don't want to call any of you because that's embarrassing. Just call AAA and no one has to know, right? And that's, what, and that's what so often we desire to have God do for us, is to be our triple A man. Lord, I've got a plan for my life. I'll tell you, it's wonderful. If you could just come and get on board with what, and I just need a little bit of help right now, kind of getting things out of the chaotic rut that they're stuck in. So if you could help me do that, that would be great. And then you can drive back to wherever the triple A people go, and I will continue on my way, and everything will be great. And, and, and we, there are small things like that that we desire, right? To have, to have change, to have the chaos removed. There are larger things as well. And I think, Lord, if you would only change this person, if you would only change this relationship, if you would only change this circumstance, then the chaos in my life would go away. But God doesn't seem interested in removing the chaos. He refuses to be drafted into our effort to make that happen. And here in the Christmas story, we're reminded that it's in that chaotic place of our, of our day-to-day lives that our God comes to meet with us. And in fact, the utter manageability of our lives, when there are no ripples in the pond, that that may not be a sign that everything is going well, that may be a sign that, we, uh, that we're refusing to have our, our world disrupted by what it means to be following Jesus, by what it means to be obeying Jesus and walking with him in our world. And we see this all throughout scripture, that when the Holy Spirit falls on somebody in the Old Testament and Christ comes into somebody's life, often what happens is it gets totally redirected in a way they did not expect. And yet what we see in our passage this morning is that in the midst of that chaos, that is right where Christ comes to us. Because he's interested in something much bigger, but he's interested in us. 
And we see that in verses 21 and verses 23. It says, she will bear a son. This is the angel talking to Joseph, right? Talking about Mary. She'll bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. I want to talk about that word fulfill for, for a second. Because it's so important to what Matthew is doing all throughout these first chapters about Jesus' birth, and it's crucial for helping us understand what's happening here in this chapter. That, that what's happening as Mary and Joseph's lives become more chaotic is that God is working to fulfill his plan for the world. And the way I used to think about uh, biblical prophecy and how it related to Jesus is that Jesus was kind of like checking off a, like a scorecard of identity to show or to prove that he was formally capable of being the Messiah. Like, born in Bethlehem, check. Right? Of the lineage and house of David, check. And these prophecies being these things that, that Jesus was just kind of checking off. And what we see in this passage and all throughout these first few chapters of Matthew is that the idea of Christ fulfilling the scriptures is so much deeper than him simply checking off characteristics on a list. That this, this prophecy here from the book of Isaiah, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, it comes out of Isaiah 7. And it has an entirely different historical context. It's not talking about a Messiah at all, at least not on the surface. It's, from the pro it's an interaction between Isaiah and a prophet or a king of his day, uh, King Ahaz. And Isaiah tells Ahaz, uh, God has told you to ask for a sign. And Ahaz says, well, I'm not going to test God. I'm not going to do that. And Isaiah says, well, God told you to do it, so he'll give you a sign anyway. And this will be the sign. The virgin shall conceive or the young woman shall conceive and bear a child. And that that prophecy was fulfilled even in Isaiah's day. But what Matthew is telling us here and what he's drawing our attention to is that Jesus Christ is a fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures in a way that the people who were reading them at the time couldn't even quite wrap their minds around. That he's not just checking off boxes of identity, that Jesus is in, in himself, in his being, and in the way that he lives and works in the world, that what he was doing is that he, he was bringing to completion everything that was talked about in the Old Testament. That he was bringing creation itself to its fullness. That all of the Old Testament story was finding its fullness in Jesus Christ. And the chaos in Mary and Joseph's lives was a part of God working to bring about this thing that was much greater. There's a much larger plan at work that's more than formal correspondence, but there's a deep coherence in the, in the fabric of the universe that speaks uh, to the coming of Christ. And you and I have been swept up into that story. That story that Mary and Joseph were a part of, that's our story. And the chaos that we so often experience, are, the chaos is exactly the place that God is coming and delights and desires to work in us and in our lives as well. Because this promise that through Christ God would save his people from their sins, 
the promise that God would be Emmanuel with us, God with us, those two promises fit together. Because what we know about sin is that sin is what has separated us from God. It's what's opened up this gap between us and God. And the promise of Jesus Christ and of his coming is that through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection, that what he's done is he's closed the gap between us and God. And now we can experience God with us. And that our experience of God with us is not a fearful thing because there's no wrath left for us. That now our experience of God with us allows us to experience God like we were created to experience him. To be full of joy and full of peace because we know and are connected to the God who created us and created us for a relationship with him. That the, ble- that the best blessing that God can give to us is the gift of himself. You see that in Exodus 33? Because this is, this is to me one of, I love Moses' relationship with God. It's very hilarious because Moses tells God whatever is on his mind and it leads to some really inter- interesting interactions. Uh, and, this is, and this is one of them. And wow, I'm flipping all the way back here to the Old Testament, so it's going to take me a second. Okay, here we go. So this is in Exodus 33. And what has happened is the people, right, God has delivered them out of Egypt, and they're right kind of around Mount Sinai after God has given them the Ten Commandments. And what they've done while Moses is up getting the Ten Commandments is they've made a golden calf, and they have said, this is our God who brought us out of Egypt. Yikes. It's bad news right? Moses comes down from the mountain. He's very upset about it. He grinds the golden calf into dust and he throws it in the water and he makes the people drink it. This is really intense, Moses. Moses said to the people, you've sinned a great sin and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people have sinned a great sin. They've made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, if, but if not, please blot me out from your book that you've written. And Moses is pleading for the people. And then God tells Moses, But now go, lead the people to the place which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel will go before you. And then here's what God says to the, to the Israelites. He says, depart, go up from here, and all the people who you brought out of the land of Egypt to the land which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, saying to your offspring, I will give it. I'll send an angel before you. I'll drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. So God says, go and take this promised land. Despite the fact that you've sinned, go up and take this land that I've given to you. And then he says this, but I will not go up among you lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. God says, because of your sin, I can't go up amongst you. You can go into this land that I promised you, you can have all of these good things that I promised you, but you won't have me. It says, when the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned. And then Moses goes up again to plead with the Lord. Moses says, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? 
Is it not in your going with us that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? What he's saying to God is, God, it is you going with us that makes us a people. It's your presence with us that makes us who we are. And God says to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Now what we see Moses doing there in pleading for God's presence to go with his people, in pleading for God to overlook the people's sin, is we see the work of Christ there. That Jesus, as being the one who would save us from our sins, goes before God, and he doesn't just plead with God to remove it, he himself has it removed. And what he does by doing that is he secures the blessing of God's presence for his people. And it says it's that presence that separates us that makes us who we are in the world. It's that God goes with us. This is the most important blessing out of all the blessings that God could give us is the blessing of himself. This is true in our day-to-day lives when they're unmanageable, when they're hopeless, when they're at their most chaotic, that those are the places that God delights to show, show himself to us. And you think about what that looks like uh, going into Christmas and into the Christmas season. Right, think about, we're gonna just make this practical for a few minutes, okay? Uh, what this means as we spend time with our families of origin, for example, right? That you getting healthy in your life, that you following Jesus, choosing to be obedient with him, it always is gonna cause ripples in your relationships. Like if you go home and you've decided, you know what I'm not gonna do this, this Christmas? I am not gonna, I'm not gonna talk about the sibling who's not here. But I'm not gonna sit, we're not gonna sit, I'm not gonna participate in sitting around and diagnosing all the things that are wrong with all the people who aren't here with us. Do you think that that would cause ripples uh, in your family? Okay, maybe it's just relationships that I'm a part of. But sometimes that's caused problems for me, okay? Of course, that, that's gonna cause chaos. That you choosing to be obedient to God is gonna cause chaos in that. But what if you go home and you say, you know what? This Christmas, I am not gonna pretend that uh, my mom's drinking habit is okay. That the way that that addiction has affected us, I'm finally getting to a place in my life where I'm gonna say, uh, I'm not just gonna accept that anymore. And maybe I'm done trying to change her or that person, but I know that I'm gonna live differently or interact with this group of people differently because of that. You think that's gonna cause chaos? Absolutely. And yet the promise here is that in us being obedient to Jesus and following him into those places of chaos, that, that that's where he delights to bring grace and healing and transformation in our lives and in the lives of the people around us. But that if we, if we insist on managing our lives only by what we can see and what we can control, we're, we're potentially boxing out the very places that God desires to work. Think about just the simple act of telling the truth. Have you ever been a, at a place in your life, maybe you're there now where you think, if I tell the truth here, the consequences could be massive. And then what that does is that forces us into hiding, right? And the invitation of this passage is no, come and bring yourself into the light. 
that the Lord will take care of the consequences of that, but that the importance is you being obedient to Jesus and walking into the truth that he's called you to reveal. And this, this same kind of willingness to accept uh, consequences that may be beyond what we can understand or control, but that has implications for the way that we also love the people around us really well. Because sometimes loving people well invites chaos into our lives, doesn't it? But that is something that is so worth it. I was, uh, I was struck by, um, there's a woman on the Supreme Court, Amy Coney Barrett, who has talked about her experience of uh, bringing a child into the world who has Down syndrome. And this is what she had to say about it. She said, we weren't expecting it, and we didn't know what it would mean. It's been challenging, and there are definitely hard things about it. I think I've learned so many lessons about myself, about what's important in life. Every night before bed, our three youngest children have to say one thing they're grateful for, and I would say that six out of seven nights, they all say Benjamin, which is their youngest child. Because there are obvious difficulties, therapies we have to do, and trying to teach them to communicate, just things that are really hard. But I think that the effect that that has on my other children, what it teaches me and my husband about unselfish love, it's really valuable. Sometimes we see things that are very difficult or that are burdens, and Benjamin's diagnosis definitely derailed us off of what we thought life was going to look like, what we thought his life was going to look like but in a way that we can't really understand or appreciate, but that we see unfold every day, it will be the most important thing that we do. But it's only the, the love, the love of Jesus that meets us in chaos, that allows us to love someone into and despite the chaos that it may bring into our lives. But that's what Christ's coming calls us into. And what I want to encourage you with as we end is that Christ never calls us to walk into that chaos alone. That he promises that he goes with us and that he's also given us this body of people to walk into that chaos with. Because the promise of his presence is the promise of relationship, but he's given us a group of people, the church, to manifest that relationship and that presence to us in our day-to-day -day lives. And that if there are places that you are currently walking in chaos or walking into it, even when you go home sometime in the next few weeks, that this body is a group of people who want to support you in that, to pray with you, to be with you, to encourage you in, in the, and remind you of the courage that you have because of Jesus, the presence that you walk into those situations with uh, because of what he's done for you. I want to remind you as we're in this Advent season, I would call you to not doing that alone. that Jesus is with you. And those places are the places that he desires and delights to bring his grace and transformation into our lives and the lives of the people around us. And the invitation is that you would invite other people in this room to being a part of that with you. Let me pray for us. Father, we... where we confess uh, the smallness with which we try to manage our lives. Uh, 
that, Lord, because of our fear and our inability to see beyond what's right in front of us, Lord, because of the limits that you've given us, we so often uh, resort to, to a control that boxes you out. And Father, we ask that you would meet us this morning in all the places that we experience chaos in our, in our lives, that we're experiencing it right now. Jesus, we trust you to meet us, uh, to walk with us, to go with us, to never leave us or forsake us, and to bring grace and transformation into those places of our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.